0: Okay, hello everybody, and welcome to the SimKit Podcast. I am happy to be joined today not by one, but two special guests. They're going to offer insight on a topic that I really just think needs more than one perspective to cover it, to talk about it, the use of ketamine in the emergency department. First, I want to introduce you to Sergey Motov. Sergey and I go way back. Actually, I think that one of the first times uh, I met or was introduced to Sergey, I was asking him to come talk at my residency regional conference many, many years ago. And Sergei is an expert in pain management in the emergency department. He's been researching and publishing on that for years, possibly decades, Sergey, um, But recently, you kind of had a career change for you. It's taken a little bit of a shift in focus. Sergey, say hello to our listeners and tell us a little bit about what you've been up to lately.
1: Well, hello, dear listeners. It is great to be with you, Jason, again. And you're right. It's been, I'd say, a decade of months that we've known each other. And I'm honored to be here today with you and to talk about a topic that is very dear to me, ketamine in the emergency department. And as you mentioned earlier, my passion for the past 15 years has been perfecting effective, and safe analgesic practices in the emergency department. But over the past, I'd say seven years, I've been primarily focusing on ketamine analgesia.
0: Fantastic. So a great person to have involved in this conversation today. And we're certainly going to talk about ketamine and its use in pain. We're also going to be talking about the full spectrum of its use. And it has many proposed uses and really to to cover that breadth, I felt like I would like or needed two experts, so I called upon our friendly e d toxicologist, addiction medicine specialist, Ryan Moreno. Ryan, thank you for joining us today and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself.
2: yeah, thanks for having me jason um good good to be here with you and Sergey. Uh, I am an emergency physician and toxicologist and addiction doc in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I am a big fan of ketamine in multiple indications um, and always happy to talk about dosing of medications, receptors, all all of that nerdy toxicology stuff.
0: Excellent. We want you to get as nerdy as you so choose in this podcast about ketamine or in general. Um, But yeah, let's sort of start and go through the spectrum if we can. And in the show notes, we will have sort of information about the dosing, the dosing ranges, and this spectrum of ketamine use, and it's what effects it has on a patient as you get to higher and higher doses. So as we mentioned in the beginning, we're going to start kind of in the pain realm. In the emergency department, I see myself and many others kind of having this line in the sand that we create artificially. We give acetaminophen, maybe we give our favorite NSAID, we'll toss that out like candy. I feel like sometimes it should just be in the water or the ginger ales that we're giving patients, right? But when they need something more, then we really start to think. We sort of put on, you know, move from that type 1 to type 2 thinking about how we should treat this patient's pain. Typically, folks are thinking about opioids first at this point would be my argument. My question for you guys, and Sergei, I'm going to let you lead a little bit, I think, is... When is ketamine the right choice for pain control in the emergency department?
1: Terrific questions. You know, to make it very simple, you know, because myself and probably Ryan with our passion for ketamine, ketamine is always the right choice when it comes to analgesia. But you know, versatility and uniqueness of ketamine, which can be given as an adjunct to pretty much anything we use, to acetaminophen, to NSAIDs, to opioids, to nerve blocks, you name it, we use it. Or it can be used as a single entity. So it's easier for me to say when I probably would not be using ketamine. And frankly, the only one thing pops in mind is that if patient may have a true allergy to it, which after 20 years of practicing medicine, I'm still yet to see a patient with a true allergy to ketamine. And me personally, I'm very cognizant of the fact that I do not really use ketamine on pregnant patients presenting uh, with acute painful conditions. Other than that, if patients' presentation warrant a variety of analgesics and you want to use an opioid answer. and wanna adject something to it, ketamine is a way to do it.
0: Fantastic. Simple answer. If they don't have an allergy, and they're not pregnant, and you want to augment your sort of standard fare analgesics, ketamine is an option in your mind, Sergey. Ryan, what about you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would defer to Sergey. He really is the expert on this topic. But I, I agree with what he said. I mean, I think pain is such a spectrum Uh, The person who comes in with a sprained ankle is very different than the person who comes in with a gunshot to the chest. Um, But there is just such a broad spectrum and the fact that everyone responds differently to the interventions that we use, I think that we oftentimes think of certain things as being too extreme or some things don't work and it really is kind of just striking that balance um, where we can give people, maybe they need a couple different things, uh, maybe we need to escalate, but ketamine is a great option. Uh, And it shouldn't really be limited in the emergency department just because of its really nice pharmacologic profile uh, that works well in kind of the acute care setting like that.
0: And so with those ideas in mind, let me push you guys a little further because the general sentiment is that it can be used really on anyone so long as they don't have true contraindications. Coming back to you, Sergey, what sort of patient characteristics make ketamine the ideal analgesic for a patient?
1: Well, if we discount what we're talking about, obviously allergy and being pregnant and another option is when somebody is a dire straight situation, have traumatic uh, hemorrhagic shock, obviously they're in pain, but resuscitation takes over, you may properly postpone or avoid ketamine altogether. Sure. But in a practical way of saying this, I've seen the situations when patients in front of you, because now we're focusing on patient-specific. Pain syndrome targeted approach to managing their painful syndrome. If you believe that patients, let's say opioids, may not be beneficial, the risk of having adverse effect will outweigh the benefit of giving this analgesia. They may have contradiction to opioids. Same with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medication, a variety of reasons. That's what ketamine comes into the play. And once again, I'm going to emphasize and it's something that Ryan said. You know, It's a part of the armamentarium. It's not a cure or panacea for every painful syndrome. But to have this drug, this modality, available to you, and once again in a situation with other analgesics, maybe contraindicated, or you expect that will be detrimental to patients' well-being, stick to ketamine.
0: I like that answer. I think that's a, a, a simpler answer that's more specific. It's kind of bringing us down the funnel. So if you have your sort of normal armamentarium where an NZ an acetaminophen, an opioid is either contraindicated, not ideal, or needs to be augmented, then you would pull, uh, move toward ketamine. Ryan, how about you? What would you answer in terms of like what patient characteristics might make ketamine the right choice? So, I mean, I think there's a lot of different things that come into play
2: here. Certainly some of the benefits of ketamine are um, That it has kind of a very short duration of action and washes out of the system very quickly so if you need it for a procedure uh, and you think someone could potentially go home from the emergency department that's a nice specific situation Uh, other situations where maybe airway is a concern ketamine doesn't have the same kind of risks that we worry about on the airway for the most part Um, blood pressure sergey mentioned hemorrhagic shock i mean i think patients experiencing significant trauma who need imaging um, and are in too much pain to go over for imaging can benefit from ketamine. Uh, and then in my line of work, I especially see it in patients who are either in recovery from opioids or trying to avoid opioids because they've had issues with substance use and, and don't want to put themselves at risk. Those are kind of all very specific situations. And I think overall, as Sergey said before, it really is, there's no no patient who can be excluded other than like an allergy or, or a pregnant patient that it comes down to kind of at the end of the day, in my mind, just provider familiarity uh, and so I think it's underutilized because people are not as familiar or comfortable using it, uh, and I think this is a direction that we're going to be moving more and more towards, if not already.
0: Okay, perfect. I like that uh idea as well, and um I actually kind of want to get a little bit more into what you're saying there, Ryan. I feel like a lot of times the you know ketamine comes into the conversation when we are thinking about or want to avoid opioids, and that characteristics to it uh, sometimes actually makes it challenging as well with specific patient populations. And I kind of have two in my mind that happen routinely. You know, elderly patient has you know rib fractures or or has other traumatic injury. We often want to avoid opioids because. We have concerns about the adverse effects of these opioids in the elderly or debilitated, but no one really wants a dissociated or high grandma running around the emergency department. In the same vein, Ryan, you mentioned opioid use disorder where there's obviously a desire or thought at least to avoid opioids, but we do find that concurrent psychosocial or psychiatric disorders kind of run hand-in-hand with opioid use disorder. So how do you balance these kind of competing interests?
2: I think, I mean, it comes down to just kind of the individual situation. And I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but pain management is really more of like a bespoke uh, patient-centered thing. And so it is like we throw acetaminophen and said at everybody, like you said, and it's not even necessarily that those don't work. It's just that sometimes they're not sufficient. They're not enough. They're not the right thing for everybody. Um, and so the same goes for ketamine. So I think in terms of like the... The older patient that you don't want to necessarily be delirious, we have a lot of risks as well with opioids and things like muscle relaxers causing that as well. And then in terms of like the psychiatric people with PTSD who can have kind of worse experiences from ketamine. uh, I mean, there's ways to get around that with midazolam, premedication, those kind of things. Um, But certainly always something that people should be cognizant of or, or at least keep in mind.
0: So that's that's some good information, and I'll I'll ask you a little bit more about the details of um, you know augmenting that with other other agents. Uh, Sergey, how would you sort of uh, balance those competing interests? And I wonder a little bit too if we can start talking about if you're going to be using uh, ketamine for analgesia. How do you start considering dosing? And coming back to, later to what Ryan mentioned, is there any way to augment the use of this medication to avoid any of its side effects that you might experience?
1: Sure. You know, when it comes to analgesia, I'm trying to be simple as myself and try to simplify approach. And When it comes to care particularly or any other analgesics, I usually tell my fellow colleagues and my residents I work with, you need to know three things. You need to know the drug, you need to know the patient, and you need to know drug-drug interactions the brain continuum of ketamine, and obviously we'll we're gonna cover it all together, gives you this unique perspective based on the dose. Because remember, the difference between dose and poison is the drug of poison, it's uh, how much you give it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Okay. So if you're gonna to go to the lowest spectrum of it, that's why we're focusing on analgesia. So the range of 0.1 to 0.3 makes per kilo, giving parenterally, primarily intravenously or subcutaneously, this is the spectrum that, in general, for the most part, based on evidence and we know this for over, I know how many years, would not give you dissociation, would probably not you turn into the, you know, semi-dissociative state, will not affect your cardiorespiratory uh, system. And the worst case, what could happen is it will cause some perceptual adverse effect, which bothers them and people don't like them, such as feeling unreality and dizziness. So to offset this, which is the most common thing, is there are three things we can do. Number one, pre-ketamine coaching. It has been very, very big on me. You tell the patient that medication may help. The medication has a unique adverse effect that will make you feel like you're quicksand. you have out-of-body experience. And what you tell patients, I'm going to be by your bedside, and this is transient, and within five to ten minutes, it will leave you, and it usually helps greatly. Second, do not use ketamine via intravenous push dose if you use intravenous wrap. Rather, use short infusion. My own shop did a study when we compared intravenous push dose to short infusion of 15 minutes. If we were able to reduce those rates of psychopreceptual adverse effect by 40% without sacrificing analgesic efficacy. So don't push keramine for pain control. Use it as a short infusion of 15 to 20 minutes. Lastly, use lower dose. Start with a lower spectrum at 0.15 mgs per kilo intravenously given over 15 to 20 minutes. One trial came out in 2021 that compared 0.15 megs per kilo to 0.3 megs per kilo showed no difference for the short-term pain relief with respect to pain control and slightly, slightly better side effect profile. So here you go. Should you choose intravenous route, do the pre-ketamine coaching, use short infusion, and you can start with a lower spectrum overdose because you can always give more. It's very hard to take less after you're giving more. I
0: love it. Three usable pearls. Pre ketamine coaching, don't push it, give it over 15 minutes and start low. Ryan, anything to add or uh, any additional perspectives on that um, little bit of pearls that Sergey dropped right there?
2: I think those are really useful. And I mean, the point about not pushing it fast, I think if you're using any sort of dose that's more than these, these low pain doses that's also beneficial as well because the complications that we tend to think of from ketamine usually are associated with the fast IV push more than any sort of other administration. And this is something that we, we tend to overlook I think in, in the emergency department in a lot of cases for a lot of other meds um, but you can add this to I don't know a 250 cc c- 500 cc bag and run it in um, or just set up the pump and and run it in over 15 30 minutes. Uh, and so th- those are always options as well
0: okay perfect yeah i've actually in the past put it just to like the 50 bag you think that uh, i guess it depends on the iv patency and how quickly things are flowing but um you, you're putting it in a little bit more volume to get yourself to that 15 or 20 minute mark
1: i, I do I'm... 100 ml i personally use 100 ml piggy bag.
2: yeah no i would defer to sergey on that 100 ml sounds good and i mean if you have a, a pump you can always set it up to do whatever whatever kind of infusion rate you want anyway.
0: Okay, so perfect. So I would think of that, you know, similar to some of our uh, medications that, you know, can have that akathisia side effect. So I use a lot of metacropamide in my department for nausea vomiting headache, and I often ask that the nurse put it in a bag, you know, if, if the patient's already receiving IV fluids, I'll I'll put it to that as a piggyback or have it infused slowly to avoid the akathisia. You're sort of stating that ketamine and its uh, psycho-perceptual effects or side effects can be avoided by this slower infusion rate. Is that right?
1: Well, yeah. They can be reduced, you know, fully avoided. It happens. But majority of patients will experience some sort of uh, degree of the psycho-perceptual adverse effect. But yeah, the longer you uh, do the infusion, 15 to one, even up to 30 minutes, it's better for the patient. And again, analgesic efficacy would not be sacrificed. But you know, patient's comfort and overall well-being and satisfaction are paramount when it comes to pain management.
2: Yeah, I think the metoclopramide comparison is, is good because though, that is really how I see them. Um, and for ketamine too, I mean, if you're using getting to higher doses, which maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but we worry about kind of the risk of apnea associated with like a, a rapid push of a higher dose. You can always just infuse it slower.
0: Okay, perfect, and. I guess let's jump a little bit to sort of some of your augmenting um, medications as well. So for metoclopramide, sometimes people talk about diphenhydramine for avoidance of some of that akathisia, the slow push. Ryan, you were mentioning some other ways to avoid some of the uh, side effects of ketamine with other agents that you might use. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, so if
2: I'm using a higher dose, uh, and again, I would love to hear what Sergey's input is as well. If I'm using a higher dose, I mean, the most frequent side effects I'm seeing are kind of the psychological ones and then gastrointestinal, particularly nausea and vomiting. So I almost always will pre-medicate someone with undancetron or, or some sort of antiemetic. Uh, but very often, if I'm using more than kind of the low pain dose will also give uh, midazolam or in, in rare circumstances, another benzo, but usually midazolam uh, as a pre-medication as well. So I wholeheartedly agree with Ryan. And
1: once again, you know, on rare occasions, I resort to antibiotics and I primarily use Undoncentron as well, if I need to. I've yet to use uh, benzodiazepines only because if I feel patient is having sort of this psychom-perceptual out-of-body experience, we can always slow the infusion and within 30, 40, 50 seconds, everything sort of goes away. Because once again, just to reiterate, those Adverse effect of ketamine, they are rate and dose dependent. Uh, occasionally, and small body of literature actually supporting the use of using haloperidol, which in theory sort of extends or enlarges the reputic window of ketamine towards reducing the incidence of the psychoperceptual adverse effect on top of working as a anti-emetic. But, you know, you just want to balance the potential for extra-perimidal adverse effect versus psycho-perceptual adverse effect related to ketamine. But these are sort of the options when it comes to pain management using ketamine.
0: Yeah, so tell us a little bit more about that. Are you um, doing a IV push of your haloperidol and, and, or are you doing it as an infusion and what's your dosing?
1: So it's uh, same thing. It's a short infusion and dose between 2.5 to 5. Mm-hmm. If I believe primarily I use this mostly for patients with exacerbation of chronic painful conditions and occasionally in you know, a particular entity patient with a cannabis-induced hyperemesis syndrome presenting with intractable nausea, vomiting, and severe abdominal pain. Sure. I think haloperidol, ketamine combination, it kind of works wonders. You know, you cover all the receptors and you cover all the sort of part of physiology behind the symptoms and it works. It's not a go one a go to drug. I can tell you that much. You know, usually with the simple antiemetics and occasionally with benzodiazepines, you accomplish exactly the same thing. But once again, it's just good for the listeners to know for the subset of patient, haloperidol is a viable option. But again, don't push it. Sure. Just just, just use the short infusion if you need to.
0: And you're doing that prior to your ketamine?
1: Uh, well, simultaneously. At times prior to it, if you can, if time permits, and if patient painful syndrome warrant at least gives you maybe an additional five or 10 minutes break, yes. I may start with the haloperidol and then go full throttle with sub- dissociative, a.k.a. low-dose ketamine analgesia for this very patient.
0: Okay, perfect. And so I just want to pin down some of these numbers as well because we we talked about, you know, we're going through the spectrum, and we talked about dosing of 0.1 to 0.3 milligrams per kilogram. That is our dose range. I want to talk a little bit about special circumstances and see if that affects that range or where you land in there a little bit. First, I'll say elderly. You know, we talked a little bit about the use of ketamine for painful conditions in the elderly as a nice alternative to opioids. In these patients, my go-to is 0.15 milligrams per kilogram. How are you guys dosing your ketamine for analgesia in the elderly patient?
1: So if I may, I just wanted to reiterate one thing. that dosing that you mentioned, Jason, 0.1 to 0.3 makes per kilo, it's particularly geared towards intravenous route or subcutaneous route because just to jump ahead of myself, I just want to cover this briefly and then I get to your beautiful specific uh, geriatric ketamine and algesia, is that should IV access be unavailable or not timely accessible, intranasal route, it's beneficial for managing a variety of painful conditions in emergency department, primarily pediatrics, but there's data supporting it to use in adults. So for the intranasal route, we're talking about 0.5 to 1 milligram per kilogram dose. Now just remember, you cannot push more than 1 ml per nostril. My prefer, preferred dosing range is 0.3 to 0.5 ml. You can always split and titrate. Interesting. If you do not like intranasal route, the next, which I've been researching for the past five years, is an inhalation route by using breath actuated nebulizer. Range 0.75 to 1.5 makes per kilo, but recent study we did in my shop showed that there isn't a difference between three doses of ketamine given via nebulization. So, 0.75 mg per kilo, given via breath-actuated nebulizer, may be useful adjunct in situation when IV is not there, patient refuses to be poked in the nose, so consider utilizing uh, inhaled route of ketamine analgesia. Lastly, data is not quite there yet. Oral ketamine has a very poor bioavailability, and I hope Ryan will support me on this one. But despite this, it's still fairly effective analgesia. Data comes from the literature in patient with burn, and post-surgical traumatic, uh, post-surgical amputation surgeries. And for this reason, we use injectable ketamine because oral ketamine is not neither approved or available in the United States in the form of tablet, caplet, as FDA goes. But you can use injectable form of ketamine from the vial and put in a cup and range between 0.25 to 0.5 milligram per kilogram given orally. Just add a little sugar to it or oral sweet because ketamine tastes fairly bitter. I tried it and it's really, really bitter taste. So this is just overview, what are the routes in dosing? And I know we'll put in the show notes, should you not have an IV, there's a subcutaneous route, which is exactly the same as an IV. There's intranasal route, there's an embolized route, and there's an oral route. Now, geriatrics, same principle, know the drug, know the patient, that's what the drug-drug interaction and the physiology comes into the play. I'm a big proponent of starting lower range and add as I need to, but we did a study on geriatric patient by giving him 0.3 mg per kilo, problem is we use an intravenous push dose, and 87% of those patients were very unhappy with respect to feeling of realty, but none of them had serious adverse effect that required either airway maneuver, airway repositioning, uh, benzodiazepine administration. So technically, you can do at 0.3 makes per kilo over 15 to 20 minutes, but to be safer, start at 0.15. See how they do. And if they do well or they need more, just give another 1.5. So total of 0.3, but split in two.
0: Okay, perfect. So, Sergey, you're saying in your elderly patients, you're starting at the 0.15 milligrams per kilogram IV and then redosing if you need to. Ryan, uh, where do you land on the spectrum for your elderly patients?
2: I think the go low, uh, knowing that you can redose is great advice because like Sergey said, I mean, you can't take it away if you give too much, but you always have the option to repeat the dose. Ketamine has very fast onset. Um, so, you know, if it works or if it doesn't very quickly, this isn't something that's going to be adding, adding tons of time, um, to, to your work and, and your patients just, dis- uh, and definitely if you could kind avoid kind of some of the adverse effects, uh, as well, then, then that's probably the best approach.
0: Perfect. And, uh, so in terms of the logistics of that, how are you, like, when are you deciding to redose at what interval are you doing your reassessment determination of second dose need or not
1: so if we do an infusion over 15 to 20 minutes at the end of the infusion you have all the rights to ask the patient. so but please don't ask him by using the pain scale so how is your pain and would you like me to give you more analgesia based on the response engaging if you can find some objective finding to it should there be interested in additional dose, then you need to be very specific. Are you comfortable if I give another dose of this very medication? Did it make you feel well, bad, and such? And if the patient says, no, I felt good, but I'm still having more pain than I wanted to be, and I'm happy to get a second dose, you do exactly the same thing. You go at 0.15 over another 15 to 20 minutes and reassess at the end of the infusion.
0: Ryan, do you agree? Yeah, I would agree with that. Perfect. Um, All right, and so other special populations, you know that for the analgesic dosing we're talking about, for adults we've been talking 0.1 to 0.3 mgs per kg. We just reviewed elderly. What about pediatric patients? Do you have any dose adjustment when you're using it for analgesia, for ketamine in pediatrics?
1: So interestingly, um, data is not quite there yet on utilizing intravenous route of sub-dissociative, a.k.a. low-dose analgesia, when it comes to ketamine in pediatric patients. The primary route is intranasal, so if I had to choose those for intravenous route, I would stick to 0.3 makes per kilo, only I would use a higher spectrum for the fact that, as Ryan pointed out, kids are high metabolizer, and you really kind of want to get their analgesic effect to them, and they seem to be tolerating even much better than adults, much lesser incidence of sort of psycho-perceptual adverse effect, but the go one route is intranasal, and the range is 0.5 to 1, and I would probably stick to one makes per kilo. I would do the
0: top. Okay the upper limit
2: to the intranasal route.
0: Point five to one milligrams per kilogram for the intranasal route when you're doing it for pain. Okay. Fantastic.
2: I love the discussion about the intranasal route because that's something that's so overlooked. And in patients who have any sort of limitation in establishing IV access, I mean it is well studied it is an effective way to administer ketamine. Um, and if you need to either get someone who is in too much pain to calm down, or you just can't get any other route? You can at least give them something for their pain while while you're waiting to establish um, some other form of access.
0: That's a perfect point, and I think that, like you said, especially you know pediatric patients. You know, if you don't work in a pediatric ER, getting that IV it can take a long time in patients. When you talked about opioid use disorder, getting that point of access it can take a while. And so, to your point, Ryan, thinking about these other routes, and and Sergey, thank you for that great review of the different. Uh, means of, of delivering this fantastic medicine and intranasal nebulized. We talked about IV and um, we'll talk a little bit more when we when we get further down the spectrum about intramuscular as well. Um, in terms of our special populations, just the last sort of areas to consider. Are you guys dose adjusting your ketamine for analgesia if someone's already gotten lots of opioids? You know, say they have an acute fracture or they have something that's incredibly painful. They've gotten morphine and they've gotten more morphine and then they got hydromorphone and Now, okay, well, we haven't controlled their pain with these opioids. Let's use ketamine. Um, Does your dose adjustment, uh, is it affected by the prior administration of those medicines? For me,
2: I would say no. And I mean, this is something that I think is one of the situations where ketamine is probably most frequently used in the emergency department and is a great time to consider using ketamine when you've given someone kind of all of your other more typical uh, analgesics and especially have kind of given one or more doses of opioids and are not getting any sort of relief. Um, And the nice thing about ketamine is because it's acting on a totally different receptor system, you don't have to worry about any sort of significant potentiation or or risk of kind of concurrent uh, adverse effects. Um, But you can kind of hit a different receptor and see if maybe that'll help more for pain. And especially in in the patients I see who have like opioid tolerance um, or, or just trying to avoid opioids. Uh, but people who maybe won't respond to typical doses usually don't have the same kind of tolerance at their NMDA receptors that ketamine would act on as they would at their opioid receptors.
1: I, I agree with you. I do not change the dose for, I love the, how Ryan and like, you put it together. I do the same dosing. I do the upper range of 0.3 makes per kilo and I do short infusion to it because it's probably the safest medication in the setting of opioid on board. I would just emphasize that should there be a concern for, again, you know, psychopersceptual adversity related to ketamine analgesia in you entertaining an idea to use benzodiazepine, just be cognizant of the fact that if patient receive lots of opioids on board, you know, combination of opioids and benzodiazepines may not be entirely kosher uh, for some subset of patient who may have predisposition to have respiratory compromise. So for that reason, rather just extend the infusion from 15 minutes to 30 even to 45. And everybody's going to be happy.
2: That's a great point too, because I think we oftentimes do forget that what medications can interact. So if you were giving your ketamine with the opioids, because it's going to be a a safe alternative, if you give the benzo with it, then you're kind of setting up a whole new situation and the benzo plus the opioid is a problem. So I did really like how Sergey mentioned the use of haloperidol or some sort of dopamine antagonist um, instead. And then thinking of not to get like too into the weeds here, but the reason that ketamine has these psychosocial like or psychological psychiatric perception disturbances, um, it does have pretty significant action on your dopamine receptors. And so particularly like D2, the same um, receptor pathways that we think of for uh, like psychosis, psychotic disorders. And in terms of just some medical history, ketamine was developed and still carries the label of a general anesthetic because it was one of the first anesthetics, but it replaced PCP, which was the standard anesthetic or fencyclidine, which is now only known as like a, a street drug or drug of abuse. Um, and so they're, they're very similar, they're structurally analogous, but PCP was problematic because it works so much more on the, the D2 receptors and so causes more of the, the psychosis uh, and those kind of adverse effects. But at the end of the day, they're very similar. Ketamine works very similarly as well. And so if you can block that in some other way, it's you've always got options if you you think about the receptors
0: interesting i do like that dive into that topic matter so the uh, dopaminergic properties and you know talking about how paradol probably drove in a similar vein that's going to help mitigate some of those psychological or psycho disturbance um effects or side effects of ketamine if co-administered essentially
2: theoretically I, I don't think i can say that definitively um but that is the thought and definitely given the similarities to pcp that is considered to be the the quote unquote problem with pcp why we don't use it in medicine anymore
0: yeah that's fair to say it things can make sense on paper or in terms of an anatomy analysis of them but don't necessarily we don't you know have the, the data as i understand it um, to to definitively say that's going to work certainly 100% of the time but it's often your guys practice to consider some of these uh, adjuncts to avoid some of the side effects from the the ketamine itself. Fantastic. Okay, that is all for part one of this podcast on ketamine for pain. Please join us for part two where we talk about ketamine for procedural sedation, RSI, and chemical takedowns.